Hello, everyone, and welcome to Still No Plan. I'm Autumn Webb, and I'm joined today with Jordan Granger and Ariel June. And Ariel June is a transformation coach. She is in Seattle and leads workshops and helps people go through their healing journeys. She's also on like TikTok and Instagram and posts really amazing content there. And today we're going to talk all about spirituality, and we're really excited to get into it. I'm so happy to be here with you both. Thank you again for the invitation. I love these conversations. So I can't wait to dive in with you. Yes. And so just to like kick us off, if you could give us a little like intro on you and maybe what brought you to spirituality and how did you, how'd you get here? Uh, I'm going to aim for a succinct response to that. And so like that's just opens up so much. Um, yes, as you mentioned, I currently work as a, a transformation coach, love getting to work with people on their own inner healing journeys, um, particularly as people shift out of survival mode, they've like figured out how to navigate life with some relative ease, but they're like feeling this nagging sense that there's more for them, that, that there's just more to be had, more fulfillment, more contentment, more connection, and um, a large part of that leads to spirituality as well. Um, so it's a really beautiful place. I work mostly with creative women, which is also really incredible. Um, a lot of women who are either dabbling or like full-blown artists and working through not only their own awakenings, but also that deep innate urge that we all have to creatively express and like make something out of this bizarre human experience. Um, so that's a little bit about where I'm at now in terms of how I got here and my own spirituality. Let's see. I grew up really religiously and I grew up in a really conservative Christian household. Um, both of my parents are still Christian pastors to this day and they have been my whole life. So that was really foundational to my religious and, and really my spiritual upbringing as well. Um, over the years, this is like a whole other part of my story that we may get into or may not, but over the years um, came to deconstruct that faith, really looking at all the different elements of the beliefs that I was given growing up and realized that a lot of it really didn't resonate with me and went against my own innate spirituality and even my own intuition. And that was probably the biggest catalyst within my healing journey was really realizing how much I had become disconnected from my own intuition. I don't think that that was the intention, um, definitely not the intention of my parents uh, or of the community that I grew up in, but was really taught to trust authority figures over my own. And um, even taught to believe that my innate desires were probably not good. Um, and so instead of trusting my own self or being really familiar with my own inner voice, but taught to trust authority figures and what other people told me was right for me. Um, that led me to a really weird territory <laughs> where um, by the time I was 26 years old, I looked around at every component of my life and realized I was really not happy with any of it on a very deep level, not just like, oh, I don't like my style or I don't like my group of friends, but like on a very deep level, spiritually, in my relationship that I was in, in my relationship with my family, in my job, like just every component was like not, this was not it for me. And I don't know when, but I had this idea growing up that like my 27th year was going to be a really crucial year. Like I just knew I wasn't looking forward to 16 or 18 or 21. I was like, 27 is my year. And I got to 26 and I was like, shit, I don't like any area of my life. I feel very disconnected from myself. I'm starting to do some healing work. It was just like feeling very disconnected and realized that if 27 was going to be this big pivotal year that I, for some reason, just knew it was going to be, I was going to have to make some serious changes in my life. And um, within that started a, a deep process of reconnecting to my intuition. And as a big part of that, coming back to my spirituality, reconstructing after deconstructing the faith that I was given growing up. Um, and so piecing myself back together, piecing back my connection to my inner wisdom, my intuition, and piecing back my connection to other people, piecing back my connection to nature, 
all of that, I really, I think is, is the framework of my spirituality, this depth of connection, realizing that the deeper uh, my connection to myself, the deeper my connection to every living being. We can talk more about interconnectivity. That's one of my favorite topics, but um, a lot of that coming back to spirituality came back to that, all those points of connection, myself, others, nature, that sort of thing. So there's so much more within that story I feel like we could get into, but I'll kind of pause there. That That's where it's led me. And now just feeling really, really grateful to be in an exploratory place within my spirituality, within my work with myself, my work with my community, my work with my clients, work with my partner and my closest friends. That is all really just based on that depth of connection and exploring, exploring that connection more. I love that you say that you at 26, you were like, shit, I don't like who I don't know who I am. I don't know where I want to go. Like, I don't, I'm not happy. So you tu- you tuned into yourself and into your intuition. Where did you start with that? That's something that I currently really struggle with this concept of like intuition, because I just live in such like a fear state. So my intuition is like all like, oh, that's bad. And that's scary. And you're going to fail and don't do these things. It's not intuition, basically. I can't hear my intuition. So where did you start with that? Was it journaling? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, I love that you brought this up. This is one of the questions I get asked most often is how do we differentiate between our intuition and our fear? Because they can kind of sound similar. If we're like, what is my inner voice? And the body is like, we're afraid, we're terrified. And the intuition's like, we're down here too. But it's, it's, it can be very hard to <laughs> discern between those two. So I just really, on a personal level, resonate with that. I know it's a very common theme. Um, I at first just want to speak to that and talk about sort of the, the subtle differences between our body speaking to us and our intuition speaking to us. Um, the body, you know, is in, in a lot of ways reacting to what it's sensing, whether we're perceiving um, an unsafe situation because it's actually unsafe or we're perceiving an unsafe situation because we're afraid it might be unsafe. And there is this reaction of the body uh, and of the brain working together to, to try to keep us safe. And so I would just say first and foremost, getting in touch with the body and working through embodiment is one of the um, most powerful impactful, effective, efficient ways to really connect to our intuition is for it to be able to understand like, what is my body even saying? And why is it saying this to me? And what loops am I caught in? You know, we all have these trauma responses, um, which are really good things. Like we need our body to be able to respond um, when we are unsafe. And so one, honoring that and being like, thank you, body. You're trying to look out for me. I really appreciate that. And getting to know those responses better so we can really start to decipher, like listen to our body, but learn when we actually need to engage in the way that that fear makes us think we need to. Um, so all of that said, I think learning to discern what the body is speaking from what the mind is speaking, from what the intuition is speaking can be really important. I think embodiment is one of the best ways to begin. So for me, I did start through embodiment. Um, my practice has really started through yoga, which I think is very common sort of inroad to a lot of this work, right? We start going to yoga because for me, I was like, this is a form of physical fitness. Like I want to, I want to, I want to go to yoga classes to be stronger or to be more flexible or whatever the draw was. And eventually over time, I, I found a really incredible teacher um, who was really deep in in that environment, somatic work, but really deep into yoga philosophy and Eastern philosophy and um, really deep into even neuroscience and that whole realm and started sprinkling in things that I was like, that's interesting. And so that really started a lot of my work in general within inner work, but also in starting to hear from the intuition more. We have to get quiet enough and really sense what's going on. Oh, that's my mind thinking. Oh, that's my body sensing. Oh, there's something kind of deeper below all of it that's nudging me in a certain direction. You can't discern between all of those voices without getting familiar with them first. So for me, it was embodiment. And I definitely really encourage embodiment as a practice to start getting getting familiar with those embodiment and then 
mindfulness meditation for sure. Yeah, I recently read The Untethered Soul uh, for a second time. I love that book. And I just love, I have, I get really anxious thoughts. And in my mind, I think that that's just how I think. Like, and it took me reading that book to identify like, oh no, those are anxious thoughts. That's not really, I'm hearing these things. I don't need to internalize them or I don't need. And that's kind of how I've been able to differentiate. Um, But I love what you said, like, sitting in stillness and really like allowing the silence because that's something that I have a hard time doing. I have a hard time sitting still and being bored. And, um, I think you have to have that kind of boredness to see where your mind goes and like, see, Oh, what is, what am I spiraling out on? But yeah, I, I love what you said. Um, I am curious kind of going back a tiny bit in like someone's journey Uh, You mentioned earlier, like being in a state of fight or flight. And I think I've been seeing a lot of kind of conversation around that online. I've been hearing people saying like, oh, I'm coming out of fight or flight. Or like, I think I I didn't realize it, but I was in a state of fight or flight for so long. I would love for you to kind of explain what that feels like for people, like almost someone who, if someone's listening, who doesn't know that maybe they need to do this inner work or they need to like look into a transformation coach, like what are things that they can look into as their life that are almost like symptoms of maybe like a a feeling of fight or flight? Oh, this is such a good question. It's, I don't think people always realize like that as just as you said that in your own experience, realizing that, Oh, those are my anxious thoughts are just thoughts. They're not me. And they're not things that I need to get invested in necessarily, or like continue down that road. They're this, and my thoughts, I, I have this ability to kind of step back and look at them and, and engage with them in different ways than just spiraling the hell out around them. So I love that this question is, is coming out of that, asking, yeah, how, do we, how do we know if we need to dig deeper? How do we know if we're caught in these states and need to create new patterns with ourselves? And I would say that it, it looks a, a few different ways um, to oversimplify kind of talk about two different categories one is more of an upregulated state within the nervous system Um, and that would be more on the anxious side of things a lot of anxious thoughts um, a lot of discomfort in the body um, a lot of like chaotic frenetic energy stress Uh, if you're feeling a lot of those first of all that's normal that's a lot that's like a normal part of the human experience and if you're like, wow, I'm in that place a lot, or that's like my dominant state, might be a good opportunity to say like, oh, I actually don't have to live that way. And I can create a different relationship, a different pattern for myself. On the flip side of things would be sort of the, the down-regulated, like the, the other end of that spectrum would be more of depression. Um, I think a lot of people who are on that side of the spectrum often feel like they're lazy or they're boring or they don't have something to offer. Um, something that my partner has talked about in his own experiences and this feeling of like not being capable of greatness, not being worth listening to. Um, And if you find yourself in in that state, oh, that can also include bringing the embodiment piece like dissociation. You're like, I don't know what it feels like to be in my body. You talk about feeling into the body. What does that even mean? Like I'm not, I'm checked out from my body, my body experience. That might be also a sign that like you're in that state. And again, we have these states for reasons. They're not inherently bad, but to recognize like if I'm there a lot and I don't, and I, I feel some inclination within me that there is a more fulfilling way to live than being stuck in that place, then that might be a good sign to dig into some of this work and to acknowledge, just as you said, I love that you articulated this, like, oh, that's just a thought. That's just a pattern. And I actually can step back and look at that and decide if I want to choose that and keep perpetuating it. The third state that I will mention as well, because I think a lot of us actually fall here, is just like a roller coaster between the two, like feeling like really like low and depressed and dissociating, and then like feeling like really excited and then anxious and then like all over the place and then like back and forth. And so that that might resonate with some people. I certainly resonate more with that. I love to dance across the spectrum. <laughs> Um, and in my better moments, find a balance, you know, between the two. But yeah, if you're feeling any of those, and again, 
alongside that feeling, whether it's more the downregulated or the upregulated or a mixture of both, alongside that you're feeling like, I feel like there has got to be a better way to live. If there's that vague inclination, I'm really interested in that. Especially when it comes to the clients I work with, like they come to me being like, I don't know how I could possibly live a different way, but there's something deep within me that tells me there's a dip. There, there's just got to be more, more fulfilling life, a, a peace, more peaceful way of relating to myself and to the world. I, I don't know how to get there, but I have a feeling that it's possible and I see it in other people sometimes. Like if you feel that inclination, that to me is a really good sign that it is not only possible for you, but also that your intuition is trying to speak through the noise and be like, hey, there's another way to do this. And it could be a lot more enjoyable. Not to say that it's all joyful. As, as I know you both, like once you dig into this work, you're like, this isn't all easy, but there is um, a greater sense of aliveness, even amongst the vast array of emotions we feel. Mm-hmm. Something that I want to talk on talk about too, you posted this like graphic on TikTok about energetic boundaries as a highly sensitive person. Yeah. And you posted this one graphic and it was a picture of you and then like all of this like rainbow of kaleidoscope of colors. And you were like, I feel like my emotions are like everywhere. Like everything is all at once. And then after setting these energetic boundaries, you, it's like this picture of you in this blue cloud sky and then like a little cloud of emotions and it's like manageable and internal. And it's not like everything that's happening out in the world and in your world is all you. Like, that's kind of how I feel sometimes. And so what is an energetic boundary and, and how do we set those? Oh, this is one of my favorite topics. And I'm so glad that you called that out. I don't really care which of my videos do well or don't do well on TikTok. Like, even today, I'm like, whatever. But I was like, this is one concept. And I was like, what? I want people to nerd out about this with. Because I know that there are highly sensitive people that like know exactly what I'm talking about by feeling like it, when I feel emotions, it's not often, it's not always just like in my body, I'm feeling these distinct emotions that I can make sense of. For a long time, it was exactly as you described in that picture, like this, a swirl of emotions, not just within me, but felt like it was coming at me from all angles outside of me as well. And I think that that's a really, a really, it's a really bizarre part of the human experience that on an embodied level, in this physical body, I have the limitations of this body. But our mind and our emotions are not just limited to the body. Our minds can think in limitless direction. Our energetically, emotionally, we can feel beyond just the limits of our of our body, and, and that's a really bizarre experience. If you're experiencing that without understanding how to relate to it all, and so for me, I was in, in situations very frequently where I just felt completely overwhelmed, and like other people's energy and emotions would affect me really deeply. I would be really bombarded if someone had really high energy, I would have a hard time not being energized by them. If someone is really like in a depressed state, I would have a hard time not like really let it like that feeling overtaking me as well. Um, and I do think that that is a superpower, but when we don't know how to relate to it, it's just overwhelming and exhausting. And maybe want to be a hermit and like, in my house and like not even go to the grocery store. Cause I would, people would pass me and I would be like, what the heck? Like, oh my gosh, like, don't get that on me. Just energetically, like feeling people's energy as they pass by. Do you both experience something like this? I do. I, I think, okay. I used to think it was just because I had so much anxiety, but now learning more about like highly sensitive people. We just talked to someone about this like two weeks ago. And so seeing your content and hearing more about what it means, I think maybe I'm just like super aware of everything. And that's overwhelming of like being so in tune with like you post about this, seeing the air. Like I, I know what you mean. <laughs> like Feeling, I just, I'm so in tune to other people's energies and my energies that it is, I don't know. I totally relate to this. So I'm trying to like go down more on that path of learning what it means to be highly sensitive. Cause I'm like, Oh, maybe it's separate from like whatever anxiety I, I experience, And it's just like something of learning how to cope with how I observe things in the world in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I, I have so many more questions for you, which I realized <laughs> would take us away from the question you asked me. So I'll save those for another time. 
But yes, you, I, I totally relate to that. And that's exactly what I'm speaking to. I think that a lot of us learn this growing up based on the environments that we were in. There's a lot on the internet about highly sensitive people. Like, first of all, like there's like the group of people that identify as highly sensitive that are like, I'm proud to have finally found a label that resonates with me. Yes, I'm a highly sensitive person. This really resonates with me. And then people on the other end of the spectrum that are like, that's a trauma response. Like, why are you bragging about that? There's kind of this interesting polarity, which I think is, first of all, it's not the best approach because one, again, trauma responses are really helpful. They kind of get a bad rap as though they were like this really negative thing. Um, when, if we learn to hone them and work with them, it can be really beneficial um, and keep it literally alive. So thank you, Bobby, for those responses. <laughs> Back to your question though, when it comes to like this notion of being a highly sensitive person, feeling other people's energies and emotions and what it looks like to create energetic boundaries, um, there's there's so much that we could get into there. But I will just say a couple of, of key points and then we could just do a whole other podcast episode on this alone. <laughs> um, one is really important for us to become very aware of our own energy, thoughts, and emotions. This goes back to the initial question of um, that we talked about around embodiment and fear versus intuition. It is nearly impossible to own our gifts as highly sensitive people without awareness of our own inner landscape. I need to be familiar with my thoughts, with my patterns, with my own energy, with the emotions that swirl within me and the fun flavor combination of emotions that come across, right? Because it's never just one emotion. And if I can be really familiar with my own, that sets me up really well because then I'm able to clearly distinguish between what am I feeling that's mine and what am I sensing from other people around me or other energies within the environment? And that is so crucial. So that's been really huge for me is first just establishing a deep awareness of my own internal landscape so that I can differentiate from the external energetic landscape. Being able to see that, that distinction is really helpful. The second piece, now finally answering your question about energetic boundaries is learning to hold myself to my own boundaries. We make boundaries with ourselves all of the time without even really realizing it. And a part of that is because we're not super aware of where our boundaries are. So that goes back to the awareness piece again. Um, but for example, I'll just give a really um, direct example from my own life because I think that that's the easiest way to ground this concept. I used to have a really hard time around my family's community staying embodied um, once I deconstructed and left that thing there were moments where I would be in my parents home that their community would be around or um, would occasionally go to their church and be around that environment and I had a really hard time not just like just dissociating and what that would lead to for me was migraines um, and and feeling absolutely drained and it was a protective measure perhaps at one point in my life when I didn't have enough awareness of myself to keep me safe. If I can check out and not be myself here, then my true self can't be judged or misunderstood. That was the safest and, and really the only reaction I knew to engage in environment to keep myself safe. I say safe by any quotations because it was physically safe, right? But there's a difference between like feeling emotionally safe. And so the example that I'm giving here of an energetic boundary is that when I first learned about energetic boundaries, I was like, okay, let me try this. And like going to this event, my parents, church that they invited me to, and I know I'm going to want to check out and dissociate. What I did is I set this energetic boundary with myself. I said, while I'm here, I am going to stay present and embodied. And when I notice I'm starting to cross that boundary, I'm starting to fade or dissociate, check out in some way. I'm going to literally like put my hand on my heart and be like, hey, you're safe. I got you. And we're going to stay present. Staying present for me and for a lot of us is really important because when we stay present and embodied, that actually is the better way to keep ourselves safe. We can keep our feet on the ground. It also leads to less physical symptoms. Like it would literally cause me migraines to dissociate. It would cause me like a lot of physical exhaustion. And so 
now that I knew I was literally safe and I could hold my own, I was like, we're not going to cross And then the important piece of that energetic boundary is then saying, if I'm not able to hold my boundary, if I get to a point where like I cannot help but dissociate, I will leave. That's how I honor my boundary. I will leave that environment. If I'm not able to keep myself safe and hold my own boundary, then I leave. And by doing that, like in this example, I said a bit, and there were a couple of times where I noticed myself like habitually, just as my pattern to just fade in the environment. I'd be like, hey, you're good, come back. We're safe here. And we're choosing to stay present. I love you, babe, but if you can't stay present, we're leaving. So you need to, you need to stay here with me, you know? I've left that day feeling energized. Like I, I not only was I not drained, I was present, I was connected, I didn't have migraine. It was such a beautiful experience. And I was immediately like, this is a few years ago. So like, oh my God, this is possible. Like it was, it's so incredible to see like the way that when we implement those boundaries, we can create new patterns and really allow ourselves to stay present in the body. So backing up, that's just one example of an energetic boundary to recognize when am I allowing my energy to be impacted by the energy and emotions environment around me to become aware of that. And then we can, for each of us, it'll look different exactly what the energetic boundary is. But to say, I'm going to hold myself to this, to this standard. Again, in my instance, it was staying present and staying embodied. And if I can't, I'm going to leave. When we do that, we start to create a, a stronger a stronger overall boundary between our own energy and other people's. Because what happens is when we choose, and again, in my example, when I choose to stay present, I'm strengthening my own energetic ability to not only stay grounded and present, but to be less impacted by other people. Like I'm showing myself, you can just stay you, no matter what's going on around you. And this goes back to that video that you mentioned on TikTok of like, when you strengthen that connection to yourself, the noise of the energy that's all around you isn't as loud. It's still there. I could go to the grocery store that's like a block away from me right now. And if I like put on that lens, I could be like very aware of every single person's energy in there. But when I learned to stay really rooted in mine, their energy is not overpowering me because I know how to stay grounded and strong in my own. I feel like that's quite meta. Uh, if we have more questions, we can dig into that more. I love this topic. It's, it's so fun to get into, but thank you for the question. It's fun to explore with you both. Yeah, I actually, I this is sort of a follow-up because um, just when you were talking, it just made me think one thing that I've really noticed as I've like grown up, obviously like being a girl throughout your life, there's a lot of like petty catty girl shit that happens all the time. And I think yeah. one thing that I've noticed in myself is that I have a lot more self-confidence and self-trust when I'm kinder to the people around me. And I can kind of, if I feel myself slipping into a state of like judgment or just kind of like being meaner or hard, just like that catty girl energy, like that little high school mean girl voice in my head. When I lean into that, then I like hate myself more and I notice myself more. So you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I would love for you to talk about like how, how your own thoughts and your own, like having your own accountability for the way that you're seeing the world and like the energy that you're feeling in the world. Mm. Oh, I love that. So the question is like, how does our accountability for ourselves impact the way that we then relate to the world? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love, I love that so much. It's, it really is so true. I think what's coming to mind as you say that is just a, a sort of, I think, cliche idea that a lot of us are very familiar with, but whatever we're seeing in the external world is really a reflection of our own internal world. And so that can be a really helpful feedback loop once you're aware of it and recognizing, oh, I'm starting to kind of get into a judgmental space towards someone else. Wait, what's going on in my internal world? 
And I love that you were able to articulate like, oh, I, that is a, like, re a reflection, excuse me, of my own internal judgment. Who knows which starts first, it's just sort of chicken and the egg. I'd argue that it probably starts internally, but there is this, this feedback loop that's happening. And so, yeah, when we take our own responsibility, it is so empowering because speaking of energetic boundaries, if I recognize that the way I'm relating to the world is really just how I'm relating to myself, then I don't have to externalize my solution. I don't have to outsource my groundedness to someone else. Is someone else being nice to me? Is someone else making me feel welcome? Is someone else making me feel uncomfortable? Like I don't have to outsource anything to anyone else because I can recognize but it really is, it is up to me how I relate. And when we can take that personal responsibility and accountability, it is occasionally frustrating because I would rather, it would be easier for me for someone else to change, to do the work. And it's like, can you make me feel more comfortable? Can you, you know, whatever the case may be. Because that could be frustrating. Like, why do I have to do this? <laughs> why does it have to be on me? But then it's also really liberating because you realize like, oh, I am the master of the story. I'm the writer of this story. I get to choose how this all takes place and how this goes down. And so on a really practical level, as you just spoke to, whatever we notice in the external world, and I was, I, I, was, I was just with someone just last week and I found myself being a little frustrated at how, just like mildly, with how kind of closed off they were. Like I was like, I'm being open and vulnerable with you and you're kind of giving me this like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like not too close. And I'm like, oh man, I wish they would just like let themselves be at ease and let themselves like trust me with me in a little bit more. And as soon as I noticed that judgment of them, I was like, am I doing this? Am I like people? And I was like, damn, I really am. I really am 100% doing that to other people um, in a really subtle way, but that's, that's often how it plays out, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure that I've answered your question here, but speaking to this topic of personal responsibility and accountability, I think is so crucial within the inner work. If we're going to live lives that are fulfilling, that we feel really grounded in, that we look back at when we're like 85 and we're like, yeah, that was that was a really, really fucking beautiful life. A huge part of that is taking that personal responsibility and accountability. Now I'll ask you, did I answer your question? Yeah, <laughs> you I think, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I think that was kind of exactly what I was getting on. Like it, it's, it's just, cool. I don't know. Good to hear your perspective on it. Um, I'm curious, kind, I think this is sort of a follow-up, but one thing we wanted to talk about today is like shadow work and yeah. what shadow work is. And you kind of mentioned earlier, like sometimes this work and inner work, it, while it's rewarding, can be really hard. And I feel like shadow work is obviously one of the more challenging portions of this. So can you talk a little bit about what shadow work is and like how people can implement it in their life? Yeah. It's so interesting, this term shadow work is so popular and also encompasses like so many different things. And I would generally say that shadow work is looking intentionally at the parts of ourselves that we hide in the shadows. Pretty, it's pretty straightforward in that sense, like the definition is in the word. And I, I think largely that is I, I tend to use the word inner work more often, but inner work includes shadow, shadow work. But I mean, really, when we're looking at our patterns and how to create new ways of being, and again, as I mentioned earlier, like you're having that moment of like, I'm not loving my life, or I'm seeing this pattern play out over and over in my friendship, or I'm seeing this pattern play out over and over 
as I'm dating, or I'm seeing this pattern play out over and over in the way I relate to the world generally around me or my family or my work. And you're becoming aware of that and realizing like, oh my gosh, there's got to be, <laughs> but surely there's a better way of doing this. Then you're going to find yourself needing to dig into some shadow work and really looking at what within me do I hope no one else sees? That's really it. And I think a lot of that comes down to another piece we touched on at the beginning of this conversation, really becoming intimately familiar with our own internal landscape. What's actually going on in me? And specifically, what parts do I want to hide? When I'm willing to be vulnerable with a friend or partner, even in that vulnerability, what topics or parts of myself do I hope don't get brought up? Those are the hardest for me to look at. I'm really happy. I could answer just about any topic you two bring up. Like we, I'd be happy to talk about any of my own shadows, but there are certain things that I'm like, I can be really vulnerable and even make anyone else be like, wow, Ariel was so vulnerable. Like she was really honest about her shadow. But there are still pieces that I'm like, I hope we don't because this is actually uncomfortable for me to be real about. And so I, shadow work within the scope of inner work really looks at that, those parts of ourselves that we want to hide. And I think that that tells us just a lot about ourselves. So when it comes to digging into shadow work, to be honest, I don't usually encourage people to just dig into shadow work specifically. For my own approach and the way that I work with my clients and even my favorite approach when I'm working with my own coaches or therapists is working with what's present, what's most present right now. And so if, if anyone listening or if either of you or anyone is like, I really am drawn to shadow work, like, yeah, follow that, see where that leads. You can, there, there's so many beautiful resources online and even just like simply asking yourself, what parts of myself do I want to keep hidden? Will give you a wealth of information to dig into. But I do think for most of us, what I'm more interested in is acknowledging what's present right now. And so that might be digging into your shadows. It probably will. Inevitably, if we're dealing with some pattern or something that we like don't love about ourselves, we're going to dig into shadows a little bit as a part of that. But I would say like right now, what's most present with you? What's the loop you're caught on in your mind? What patterns do you find yourself repeating that you're just like sick of? You're just like, I've done this loop 20,000 times and I'm tired of it. Um, or where's your aliveness taking you? That's like an even a more fun one that I'm playing with lately. I, my own inner work has led me there. I'm honestly like, for me, I'm low-key done trying to like dig into like what's wrong with me and like where's the missing puzzle piece and how do I fix it? And if I could just find that one thing, then like abundance would flow to me and everything would be easy. Like, you know, I, I'm like, I, for me, and this is the work I'm starting to navigate more into with my clients as well, is like, let's just look at where your aliveness is leading you. Where do you feel drawn? Where do you feel like a vague inclination? I feel like in the back of my mind, I just kept hearing about like, I kept thinking about somatic and embodiment work for a long time. And this year now I'm studying that. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to follow that. Oh, I kind of feel like reaching out to this person. Oh, I kind of feel like digging into this and trusting that as we follow our aliveness, the skin that needs to be shed, the layers that need to follow, the parts of our, in our shadows that are holding us back will naturally come and they'll, they'll let you know when they're when they need to be addressed, or on rare occasion, they'll just die off and you'll be like, whoa, I didn't even have to get like the pickaxe to like carve <laughs> that part off. Of <laughs> it just like kind of fell off like months ago. I didn't even realize it. 
so for me, I think shadow work is so important, but I, I personally believe in leading with like aliveness and we feel drawn to and trust that shadow work will come up as a How does that resonate with you two though? You both are on your own healing journeys. You've been deep in this work for a while. Does that resonate or do you find yourselves taking a different approach? Oh no, all of this resonates so much. And I'm also like doing a yoga teacher training right now at this like small studio. So it's very like spiritual. So I've been learning about all of these like Eastern mm. practices and then combining them with like Western and having like a modern approach. So all of this is like bridges are being built in my mind as we're talking about it. I'm like, oh my God, they're all connected. And it's so, it's so complex. But when you talk about it, it just sounds like, oh, just journal, you know, it just sounds simple, but there's really so right. many different layers to it. And it's funny, people talk about a lot like, oh, I'm not ready to be in a romantic relationship because I don't know myself or because I'm trying to figure out who I am or how I show up in the world. But Jordan and I have both been in relationships since we were like 18. So like five year long relationships. And I think we've both found like, oh my gosh, being with someone in such an intimate way, it's actually like forcing me to do some of this work because there is patterns in our relationship and you have to look in the mirror and say, I am at fault here too. And like, what am I bringing to the table here? And sometimes when people say like, oh, I need to focus on me. I'm like, I kind of just think like, that's just your fear running from this intimacy because intimacy is probably going to lead you to whatever you're like scared to go into because you're going to, whether you're with someone or not with someone, you're going to ask yourself these same questions. But when you're with someone, I guess it's easier to like blame them for it and not take the accountability for your own situation or your part in the relationship. And that can just be so, so difficult having to take a step back and be like, shit, I was wrong. Or like, I, this is me. This is all me, this right here. And I'm creating something that's not here just because, um, I didn't really even, wasn't even really leading to a question, but that was something that kept coming up in my head was like this concept of like running from dating and like using inner work as an excuse to like run from intimate relationships. Oh, I think you're absolutely spot on. Uh, Yeah, it is, it's really difficult to do deep healing work on our own. Like that's just it. Like we can do a good amount on our own. Um, I really wanted to do it all on my own and not affect anyone else with my wounds or my trauma. You know, it's a, a very reasonable desire to be like, I'm a mess and I would like to affect no one with that until I figure myself out. Um, but I think that, that what you're speaking to is spot on. It's very rare that we can figure ourselves out in, in a silo. Like that's not really what we're meant for. It doesn't mean we need to be dating someone, although man, being in relationship will bring you real close to your shadows for sure. So it's like it's expedited work in a way. Maybe the only exception would be if, if someone has like a, a like hyper codependent pattern where they're like, every time I get in a relationship, I lose myself. It's like, okay, maybe you need to find some groundedness in yourself so you don't lose yourself entirely. But I don't think that's most of us. I think most of us are running from that fear. And to be honest, I think that plays out in friendships as well. I'm really huge into healing and sisterhood. And that is just as uncomfortable sometimes as being in partnership to really face a friend, a sister, and be like, wow, I have to own up to the way that I'm relating to you and the way that my patterns are coming up and my being feeling triggered or activated. All of this, the deep, deep healing work happens in relationship and friendship and community. So I'm, I'm with you there. Mm-hmm. I have, we have so many more questions to ask you, but we are running out of time. I think before I have just two quick questions to wrap up, this one's probably not a quick question actually, but meditation best practices, like tips for someone who's never done it or maybe done it like once or twice in their life. And then I want to get into like best resources that you have, but we can just start with meditation tips. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll try to make this uh, very quick. First of all, I will say everyone always asks me, do I have to have a meditation practice? No, you do not. I do think that it is absolutely essential that you learn and become intimately familiar with your internal landscape. As I've mentioned a few times throughout this um, conversation, what's the best way to do that? Meditation. If you have another way that you prefer to do it, go for it. I do think meditation is 
the best, most efficient, most practical way that I found and that even all the teachers I work with have found to become really familiar with our internal landscape. Um, so I like to preface it with, will it help you relieve your stress? I don't know. And frankly, I don't, but it will help you get really in touch with your internal landscape. So as far as best practices go, I would say just let go of whatever pressure you put on yourself for it to look a certain way. Uh, your mind will wander. That is what your mind does. Let it. So, so you sit there and your mind wanders the whole time. That's okay. What are you learning about yourself? Where does your mind wander? Paying attention and just letting yourself be really curious is really important. So number one, yeah, drop any pressure that needs to look a certain way. Two, bring a lot of curiosity. Again, instead of trying to resist the thoughts or the, whatever comes up as you get it, can you look at it like a, a, a child would look at it? Like, you know, a, like a roly-poly bug on a piece. You know, kind of like, whoa. When I get quiet, my mind is obsessed with this. I can't stop thinking about this. I've been doing this for two weeks now, and I keep going back to this. Like, just to notice, you just be really aware. So again, really take off the pressure, come to it with some curiosity. And then the third would just be find a practice that works best for you. There are a lot of different ways to approach meditation. Um, I don't use guided meditations. I, I used to set a timer. I don't anymore. You can set a timer for five, 10, 20 minutes, whatever feels reasonable for you. Um, you could use an app and do guided meditations. Um, there is no right or wrong way to lead into it. Just find something that captures your attention enough for you to come back to it, whether that's five minutes or longer, whether it's guided or unguided, um, just find, find something that works for you. I love that. And I feel like I have such horrible ADHD. And as I mentioned earlier, I like, am so bad at being bored. And I think one of the things that's helped me with my meditation practice, like you mentioned, is like not putting any judgment on it. And like me meditating, I put in air quotes is, can just be like sitting and not being on my phone. Like, it's like, just do nothing. Like, just you yeah. don't have to like count your breaths or like do anything. It's like, see what happens when you sit and do nothing. And like you said, like, see where your mind goes. And I feel like once I took that pressure off, like, oh no, I'm supposed to have this spiritual awakening every single time and go into the atmosphere with my soul and like hold hands with everyone else around me like <laughs> once I took like that expectation off yeah. and was like oh no it's just supposed to be like sit in silence and see what happens <laughs> it made it way easier for me to keep up my practice um so I love that like no judgment I would love to wrap up as Autumn mentioned earlier with like what are your favorite resources like when you are wanting to do work where are you what are you reading who are, are you listening to podcasts? Do you have like uh, creators on social media that you're you're loving right now? Just like where do you where do you go to find your info? Yeah, I love that. Um, let's see. Right now, I mentioned I've really been getting deep into embodiment and somatic work. Um, I feel like for a lot of us, that's kind of a missing component. Even if we do yoga or like you know those sorts of practices really tapping into the wisdom of the body has been um, a, a huge part of my like learning this year so far. So with that said, um, someone that I've really enjoyed learning from is, um, I forget his last name, Luis of Holistic Life Navigation. Um, he has a podcast, he's on Instagram. Um, he runs some different trainings and things. He's an incredible, well, with the somatic therapist um, and yeah, his work is, is really informative. So if anyone's interested in embodiment and learning the wisdom of the body, I would definitely recommend um, looking to him. Um, and man, my mind is like now flooded with like all these different things. I'm like, focus it in, just give a few. <laughs> um, let's see. I just read this book, Rooted by Leonda Lynn Hott, who is local to Seattle. So shout out to Seattle babes out here. <laughs> and um, the book is on the intersection between science, spirituality, and like, um, climate activism. Really beautiful if your work is leading you to deepen your connection to nature and to that sense of interconnectivity with nature as well, um, which has been really important for me. And 
I'm like literally like looking at my stack of books in the corner. I'm like, what else have I been <laughs> reading lately? Those are the two things I've been reading most recently. So um, I feel so put on the spot. I'm like, why? I need to have a, it's like when someone asks you what your favorite movie is and I'm like, what a movie <laughs> I forgot. I've never watched I, one before. <laughs> never, I've never heard of her. You know, I don't know. Um, I should have told you what to prep resources. I just thought like, oh, everyone knows what resources they want to give. <laughs> oh my gosh, no, of course. But I'm just, I'm just kind of blanking right now. But um, I think those two are my most recent source of inspiration. So I might leave it at that for now. And I share more on my socials regularly from other people. So do you have a list of like, do you read any like fiction books or like fun? I know you're saying you're leaning into like fun and joy and creativity and play more. And so do you have yeah. any resources for, for those things? Maybe that'll be an easier. The direction is greatly appreciated. You're helping me focus. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, I do. I love that realm. Okay. I would say a hundred percent for, for those as, the intersection between inner work and creativity is, is huge and so beautiful and so fun to explore. Um, Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. Have you both heard of this? Yeah, so good. We both <laughs> we've read it. <laughs> I can't recommend it. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough. I um, do her practices in the daily pages every day. Huge part of my inner work and creative practices. Um, uh, the Creative Act by Rick Rubin. I feel like everyone's obsessed with right now, but that is really beautifully written. Um, and oh, there was one more I was going to mention the on being podcast with Krista Tippett, um, also beautiful source of creative inspiration, um, spiritual, philosophical inspiration. Um, yeah, I think those are the, those are the main resources coming to mind for now. I feel like there's one more I have, but ugh, I've lost it. That's okay. There's well, so much I'll, more we wanted to talk about. I was like, oh, we didn't even get to talk about creativity and inner work, but <laughs> we can have you on again. We can talk about all of this again. Um, if you want to leave people with like where they can find you, where they can reach you, just kind of, I don't know, pimp yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. We'll do. Um, yeah, you can find me on social channels at Ariel here and now. Um, it's a great place to connect. Um, you can also reach me directly via email if you feel like reaching out or have questions at hello at arieljune.com. And then my partner and I do have a podcast as well. Um, we pause recording for the past like six months, but we're about to start season two here shortly. Do you have space? It's all about inner work and learning how to relate to ourselves and each other better. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. And we would love to have you back anytime you want. And and yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you both so much. This is such a lovely conversation. I have tons more questions for each of you. Perhaps <laughs> for another time. Thank you for having me. It was a joy to be here with you.